I don't have any bits to start off this week. I have just done a, a quick scour back through my week of anything interesting that might have happened. And the best I've got is I watched Robocop last night, which, yeah. let's be fair, is an awesome way to spend one's time. It sure is. At any point. For any, well, I mean, if you work at like an emergency room and someone's had a cardiac arrest, it's probably not the best time to sit down and watch Mm. Robocop. Uh, I say probably. There may be situations where it is not only fun, but encouraged, prescribed even. Yeah. You know, maybe someone's, you know, in the in A and E, they're having a really bad time with their pain, and they need like they can't have any more painkillers yet. They need a distraction. Pop Robocop on oh, for them. Absolutely, Perfect. it's gonna make them forget all about the fact their arms in two pieces. <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> Will it? Will it though? Isn't uh, yeah, it's Robocop. I think the, <laughs> probably <won't> the strong <laughs> satirical style of of Paul Verhoeven's directing uh, will absolutely tear their minds away from any physical agony they might be in or any loss of limb. Indeed, loss of life. Uh, I, I can imagine a doctor breaking the news to a family that they've like just lost a loved one. But if they play the Robocop theme while they do it, they're na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. The rousing, inspirational tone will probably have like, like little Lucy be like, oh, well, you know, she was a good mum, but... Uh, quite like the sound of that robocop you've been talking about let's pop on a vhs sure thing little lucy who's three years old in 2023 let's pop on a vhs yeah (laughs) she she probably exists right i have gotten two minutes of material out of me watching robocop last night um, I mean, I feel like two minutes is ambitious. A good chunk of that was us doing the syncing the audio up and then doing it again because I did a shit clap. You got maybe a Fuck. minute out of You're it. You're right. You're right. I, I. <laughs> that is the harshest performance review I've ever had. <laughs> I, you're t- I've, I've done half as well. I've hit my goals, fifty percent of the way. That's Look. that is a shambles. <laughs> Look, I'd let I'd let, I'd I'd let you get away with thinking that, but you know, people are going to be play, watching the recording and going, well, "That was that was a fast two help. minutes of podcast." Ah, oh, no, it wasn't. The curtains pulled back. I do normally over um, overestimate whenever I do a time thing for how long we've talked about something because you can't be accurate because you don't know what's getting cut and you have That's to true. account for like what what dead air is there. Um, so I usually overshoot, but I saw two minutes. I thought I had. I saw two minutes thirty on the record, no. and was like, "That's enough." But Laura's right. I hadn't accounted for the sync. You hit record earlier than I did. I barely oh, saw fuck, two minutes on fuck. my record. Oh no, I'm probably <laughs> like at twenty five percent. Thank God this oh. has brought us well over the two minutes. Yeah, it has. now now we're probably over the two right. minutes. You can feel proud you got there now. It's become important to me. So for some reason today that I do at least two minutes of non-video game discussion, which we have now, thank fuck, yeah. comfortably I'm just glad hit. we have clarified for the listener that there is going to probably be like a minute or so that is inaccurate because every week at some point we say it's been X minutes and then oh. as I'm editing, I look at the clock and I'm like, yep, there we go again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, Look, never is accurate. It's never accurate, but it's usually not inaccurate this soon. <laughs> it's true. Oh my god! Usually, usually Will takes you a minute. Stop! Oh, <laughs> the skitting and the harsh. I... 
Oh well, I mean, old old twenty five percent Steph there, like <laughs> she's fucked us up, like in the first. It's four minute thirty eight on the <laughs> in the first. Let's just say ten minutes. Um, within the first ten minutes, that is accurate. Hello, everyone. Um, you're right. Is everyone all right? Yeah. You're right, yeah. 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 Comrade. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, well, I uh, got an update on my uh, my closet doors. As oh, you might God, yeah. Last week, yeah. Did, had, uh, uh, I just sent a, uh, a, a photo to our uh, our little group chat that sort of illustrates what's happening. You remember that piece of art that you got me a couple of years ago, Steph? The uh, fake um, <laughs> old-timey romancy type novel. Cover. Yeah, hunting down the landlord. So yeah. that's wow. hanging in my office, literally next to the door that my landlord had to come in and fix. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. Also, it's not lost on me that um, photographed from behind. Right, right. Yeah, your landlord looks exactly like our mutual friend Jonathan Hart. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say that. I posted this in the Discord, and Elsa came back <laughs> like, "Is that who I think it is?" I was like, no. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan would picture, never though. be a landlord. No, Jonathan would not be a landlord. But yes, hunched over as he is. Uh, this has in to that be the photo. episode image now. Well, I don't, mm. I don't know if you can do that with a. I I mean, I so feel back like of his that's... head. I yeah, no, he won't be identifiable. No. no. Well, it would be identifiable as Jonathan, if anything. Oh yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe well, I excellent. can uh, make him uh, like beige him up a little more. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think. Anyone who's bald needs to beige up a little more. Well, um, yeah, just to, I mean... to get closer to the image of the one true lord. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you my favourite joke, though. Okay. In Robocop. Yeah. It's the one that makes me laugh every time. I'm not even sure if it's a joke, but given how dripping in sarcasm that film is, it probably is. So Robocop, you know, very satirical, you know, it's a Verhoeven film. One of those kinds of satires where people miss the point. There was that famous tweet by an alt writer that's like, I bet you think Robocop's political. But for me, the best goof in it is Robocop doesn't have a cool future car. They build up Robocop as all like polished metal, like gleaming brand new state of the art technology by what? the eight is imagined that would look like and then they're like we gotta get you a car and then he comes out in the oldest shittest dustiest unwashed (laughs) beat up cop car with the browsing music but with this clunky fucking robot in it and it sparks on the ground because he's too heavy i just every time i see that film i'm delighted by it and have to point it out well that's one of those gags that gets better with age Right, oh, yeah, because yeah. the longer you get past what was considered a modern vehicle for the time, mm. the more antiquated the piece of shit, you know, uh, Crown Vic that he's in winds up being. Very true. Yeah, it, it is a joke that gets better. And yeah. you know, you think of RoboCop, you think of like Ed Two Hundred Nine falling down the stairs, sure. or of course, the first thing I always think of. And many others is uh, Clarence Bodicker going, bitches, leave! Um, which is one of the finest lines committed to uh, celluloid. Um, but I love the dirty, filthy. Just, it's not even like a shit car. It is filthy and grimy. I love it. It's a good film. It is a good yeah. film. Yeah, I need to rewatch the sequel, which was nowhere near as good. Not it a had good its film. Moments. Yeah. 
Well, it had a moment of all the uh, prototype other RoboCops like losing their minds. What I can say about RoboCop 2 is that it's not RoboCop 3. Well. That's the most positive thing I can muster. That one I've not watched since I was like, God, 10 or something. And just what little memories I have of it um, tells me I'm never going to watch it again. Well, the I probably, flight I suit thing is so oh, both yeah. dumb and poorly executed. Yeah, he basically gets like a little rocket fucking thing, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. Awful. <laughs> uh, so, my, my, my ADHD's gone in a direction. Uh-huh. Uh, you mentioned the best joke in Robocop, and yeah. therefore my brain went on a tangent and started thinking about a joke that's just a nice little wholesome joke, and I'm going to share it just because otherwise my brain won't latch on, uh, stop latching onto it. Yeah. So, here you go, here you go. My, my nice little wholesome joke of the day. I recently got fired from working at the keyboard factory. They said I wasn't putting in enough shifts. Oh, wow. See, this you know yeah. kind of shit, but I love it. That ain't it's bad. Good. I love it. That honestly ain't bad. I, I like, like I realise I'm not laughing, <laughs> which sounds like a diss. <laughs> I'm more appreciating. Right? Yeah. I'm just here with yeah. like just a little like smirk on my face, just nodding, just, yes. Yes, that yeah. word can mean that word. That word <laughs> there, the humour has arisen. <laughs> oh, uh, mate. Who, who wants to talk about video games? Uh, I, I played some of them. Yeah, I could talk about some video games, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, many, oh, well, I mean, if you're both doing played? it, I'll, I'll pitch in if you think it'll help. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we can we, all we, have we, a go. Yeah. <laughs> who wants to go first? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Okay. Why not? I'll, all right. I'll, 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 I played a I played a game last week. I can finally talk about it this week, and I've been kind of excited to talk about it. I played Viewfinder. Are either of you okay. aware of this game? Uh, this no. is the classic '80s toy where you hold it up to your face, and it's got those <laughs> reels of photographs. Oh my god! I, oh yeah. mate, I, we had a Terminator Two one of that. It was uh, Robert Patrick going into the helicopter and then turning into the helicopter man. Sorry, nice. yeah. please tell us about Viewfinder. <laughs> yeah, so this shares a name with that, but it's not that. This is, uh, I think I might have talked about the demo of this a couple of weeks ago. This is a puzzle game about photos. The premise is, you have a photo in your hand, you hold it up so it sort of looks like it's in 3D space with you, and you press a button to go, that's where I want it. And the 3D interior of that photo is now sharing 3D space where you placed it. And that is used for many different purposes. It might be things like, there is an item I need and it's in the photo, so I'm going to place the photo over there and then walk inside of it and go get the item from it. It could be the, you know, the teleporter I need to get out of this level is uh, upside down on the ceiling, so I'll take a photo, turn the photo upside down, place it so it sort of lines up with the path I'm on and then walk onto it and it's the right way up and I can go get to the teleporter. It might be there's a thing I need and I need to get it into like that cage over there. I'll put the photo up on the ceiling and then that thing will, you know, gravity will make the item fall out of the photo downwards into where I want it to be. It's one of those puzzle games that like it has one core mechanic and it does a honestly fucking fantastic job of iterating on its core mechanic really well. It's one of those mechanics that you see it done, and you look at it and go, I understand entirely what this is. Um, and for for a game with like that central of a singular mechanic, 
I want to iterate to anyone who's like, you know, curious about this game and looks up trailers. It feels really fucking good to engage with its core mechanic of just placing a photo and now it's here in 3D space. There is no delay, like no confirmation when you press the button. It's just, I that was a photo. And now if I move slightly to the side, it's in 3D space. And the number of ways that is used to really interesting effect is really impressive. It's not a hugely lengthy game. It is, you know, maybe a couple of sittings to play through it. It feels like it is exactly the sort of length it should be, in that no one idea outstays its welcome, and the game never feels like it sticks around long enough to be floundering for things to do with its mechanics. It feels very comparable to something like Portal, uh, in terms of the skill with which it executes on basically the entire game being a slow, gradual tutorial, but in a way that you don't really notice until you stop to think about it. There's a lot of, like, elements of this game's early pacing that I can one-to-one mirror to how Portal teaches its mechanics in that sense of, like, if you think back to the original Portal, initially there are portals that you can't control their position, you go through them, you learn what a portal is. Then you get to interact with uh, portals that move, and you're not moving where they are, but you understand that they can move and how that works. Then you, you know, eventually get the portal gun and can shoot one colour of portal, but one colour static. And then finally you have, you know, access to the full suite of portals you can throw around. This does something very similar. You start with, here is just a photo someone else took that you can use to solve the puzzle. Then here is a static camera that you can take use to take photos of one set position. Use that to solve your problems. Then, you know, you finally have a camera yourself, and then, you know, mechanics sort of spiral on from there. Um, I'm really impressed at the pacing of difficulty in this game. Me and Jane played through this together over a couple of days, and there was maybe two times where we reached a puzzle and, like, you know, not for um, hugely long, you know, maybe 20 minutes we got stuck on a puzzle and we eventually worked out what to do, and... Both those times when we eventually found the sol- like worked out what the solution was, we went, oh my god, of course that's fucking it. Like, we were never annoyed at the game, you know, it was never the game poorly designed this puzzle, it was, we didn't take that lateral thinking s- step, you know, one step to the left to go, oh, of course we can do that. We always felt very, that is the perfect, sensible solution to that puzzle that we just didn't see. The game's narrative... I really thought was was pretty impressive. Um, without giving too much away, um, it is set in a world that is kind of going to shit, and you are digging around in uh, a virtual space that might have some answers about what to do about this world that's going to shit. And it does a great job of like gradually giving you little bits of environmental storytelling over time, that don't feel like they're intruding and getting in the way of if you just want to get on with doing the interesting puzzle stuff. Um, Also, best mechanic of the game if you play it on PS5. Um, This is the first time in a long time I've wanted to talk about Fancy Rumble in the PS5 controller. There There is a cat in the game, and if you pet the cat and then stand around for a bit, your controller starts purring. And they have done a fucking fantastic job of emulating the feeling of a cat purring inside a controller. So that's huh. that's bonus points that, right there. That that's bonus I'm, points. I am 
I'm like a sucker for, I've talked about it before, like gimmicky stuff with controllers. Like I used to love the light bar on the thing. Yeah. Or I like the um, speakers on the Wii remote that the DualShock mm. ended up. And I, I do like that rumble stuff, but it's not used yeah. enough in, in a good way. That, is such a nice little gimmick. I love that. It's such a minor thing, but it's genuinely so well executed yeah. that I have to mention it. I don't want to say too much more about this game because so much of what is interesting about it is dis- is discovery of its mechanics as it goes. But I I think the big thing to note is like I was very impressed at how well this game was able to introduce new ideas that didn't take away from the core of, like, the first mechanic it introduces, even at times where the game's progression will break the rules it has established or create situations where the rules are antithetical to how they started, they managed to make even that feel like a logical part of progression through its mechanics. It is one of the most, like, cleanly made puzzle games I've played in a while, I think it is absolutely a fantastic puzzle experience if you like your first person first person puzzle things. I had a little bit of motion sickness issues with it. I sometimes have this with first person games. Thankfully there is a field of view slider that did help somewhat. There is a demo if you're someone who struggles with motion sickness to see whether whether the field of view slider is going to be enough to help you with that, but uh yeah, viewfinder really really solid puzzle game. Um if you like your portal style, here is one one mechanic and one device, and we just kind of iterate on it. This is a really fucking good one of those. It sounds good. I'm still stuck on the purring controller. Like That's what sold me. The thing that makes that purring controller great is how Jane encountered that that mechanic exists, and I think it is the perfect reason for something stupid like this to happen, is Jane goes and pets the cat, then puts the controller down but doesn't pause because me and Jane, we're pondering the puzzle. We're stuck on a puzzle, pondering it, looking around, not really doing anything, just trying to take it in. That's when the purring starts. That's exactly when you need a calming purr coming out your controller. When you're like, I'm standing around because I'm not sure what to do. Oh, okay, no, this does make me feel better about the fact that I'm a dumbass for a minute. <laughs> so yeah, what what you, what you both been playing this week? Well, you mentioned sort of the onboarding process of it sort of unfurling its mechanics um and that made me think of one of the games i uh played or at least attempted to play this week which is uh, frostpunk oh yeah yeah i had not played have either of you played this um i've watched jane play this and i am aware of what it is and how um how it is paced (laughs) yeah i would imagine it's probably not cups of tea for for you lot um and it doesn't work for me either it's a real-time strategy city builder set in a snowpiercer like um modernized ice age Mm. and you are a at least in the the scenario that's established for the main story mode you are a group of Settlers from London who have moved north and you've found this heater and you're going to build a new city from that point. Um, yes. Mechanically, I, I like a lot of the elements in it. 
you have to achieve certain levels of heat in your your heat generator to unlock certain building types. You have uh, settlers mining for coal and bring that in, and then and those start out as like piles on the ground, and eventually you get access to larger machines that will let you dig out more fertile sources. As you continue to expand, you have to house everybody, you have to provide medical facilities, you have to provide food. And it snowballs very quickly. And mm-hmm. and the uh the tutorial stuff I I wish it were and I rarely say I wish that were a little more intrusive. I wish it would stop yeah. me and say, Hey, you need to learn this mechanic now. Um, yeah, this game is not, uh, from what I can tell, it is not afraid to let you seriously fuck up and not tell you until it's way too late to do anything about the fact you fucked up. Yeah, and, you know, and that's, that's, it's, it's fine, but I, I don't have that kind of time to go back mm. and, like, start a whole campaign again because I get, like, nine hours in and realize I fucked something an hour or two. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I'm sure that that's an exaggeration and, and people will be like, oh, you can recover. It's, um, I do like the choices that it presents you in terms of, you know, we need more production. How about we try child labor? And it's like, yep, you're, you're real good at coming up with scenarios where neither option is good. Um, mm-hmm. and... That's fine. I have those in my real life, though, and I'm fine without more of them. Uh, it's just not just not clicking with me. It is very well made. Um, I love the circular design for uh, a city builder where uh, your generator is at the center and you build roads in concentric circles around mm. it. Um, and everything has to, everything you build has to be on a road in order for people to get to it. And yeah, it, it's, it really makes you think about how to build in a different way than you would on a standard grid. And I think that's pretty neat. Um, I love the setting. I love the tone. I don't want to play it anymore. Uh, and and so I will not, but I, I do think if you, like a city builder and you want one that's going to be just a little bit more on the oppressive side yeah that that's a it's a good choice for that um quality constructed game uh it's too good for me it's just too good for me that frostpunk <laughs> uh, so yeah that's that's something i played this week uh steph what about you you played something that i looked at and then i said oh no this is squad based fuck it <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a game I've been playing since Friday, and and I mean that's pretty much all I've been doing since Friday outside of watching RoboCop. Mm. I've become incredibly addicted to a game I expected nothing from because I had a very similar feeling to Conrad. I was going to play it for review because it seemed like a big enough deal, but I did look at it and th- I thought, oh, it's some Overwatchy shit. It's just another one of those. It's Battleborn or, or Paladins or, or just one of those games. And in some ways it is. In fact, my video next week is going to be talking about how it's a shame 
that this game felt it had to resemble a a hero shooter or whatever you want to call them as much as it does because all the ways in which it resembles it are quite vapid and mostly revolves around the monetization which sadly is like up this game's wazoo yeah so just quickly this is exoprimal isn't it this is um, exoprimal it's basically and- if earth defense force and overwatch had a kid that ha- was better than it had any right to be yeah, I haven't picked this up, and it's not because the game doesn't look cool. Because every time I see, I saw trailers for it, I was like, "This looks really, this looks like really fun. This genuinely looks like the kind of thing I could get really into." And then every single trailer I saw for it ended with three or four separate screens for different kinds of battle pass. Yeah, and my desire to play it just completely crashed through the floor because I was like. This seems like the kind of game that is going to have monetization that I just can't fuck with. Yeah, and it's... I I can't blame you, because, yes, uh, it has that... It has the setup, and that's part of what I'm going to be talking about on Monday. There's now a blueprint. In the same way World of Warcraft created a blueprint for the Mm. MMOs that would follow, to the point where MMOs stopped being as promising as they once were because they were all trying to be one type of game. Exoprimal is a victim of this blueprinting that happens in a genre or a concept where you have this genuinely, delightfully stupid concept that works really well and is super fun, but it doesn't deviate from dozens of games that have come out in the service mold. Um, in terms of its structure and its character progression, its reward delivery. And all of that makes the game feel more generic than it is, and consequently look more generic than it is. It's really its own thing, buried under everybody else's shit. As a game, I fucking love it. So the premise is, is fucking nonsense. You are an exo-fighter... Which means you have a mech, basically. You wear, like, a mech suit. You keep getting pulled back in time to fight dinosaurs at a point when they came from the future. So you go to the past to fight dinosaurs in the future. (laughs) And you're doing this because a rogue AI keeps pulling different X-Fighters from parallel universes to compete in combat exercises against dinosaurs for data. Just data. Everyone says data. Everyone in the game is more obsessed with data than David fucking Xanatos. Everyone loves data. (laughs) And it's what everything is happening about. That's the premise. And the gameplay is sort of Earth Defense Force, but with dinosaurs instead of giant insects. Like, you fight swarms of velociraptors in the thousands that throw themselves at you and, like, swarm and pour over the environment like the zombies in World War Z in the movie and the game. Just this oceanic tidal wave of velociraptors backed up by stegosauruses that can disable your mech's equipment. Somehow, that's just the skill it has. Um, The triceratops, that's just a cunt. Uh, there's a carnosaur. <laughs> um, there are neosaurs that Leviathan, that's the AI, has fucked with, like Dilophosauruses that have become snipers 
um, by getting big pustules on their backs that throw gobs of poison at you. All sorts of stupid shit. It's co-op, but it's also competitive. So you have two teams of exo fighters, and there's a whole bunch of different mechs that are split into assault, support, and tank. Just very straightforward. We've seen this in plenty of hero shooters. You pick an exo suit, you and your team spawn in a map, and the enemy team has spawned in a copy of that map. And between objectives, you see, like, red ghosts of the other team a bit like dark souls or demon souls where you Mm. see them in real time and what they're doing at that moment because they're in a parallel universe because the rogue ai is uh capable of doing uh parallel universes as well as time travel and summoning dinosaurs from the past this game is so stupid Again, that's why I'm into it. Oh, yeah. It is deliciously <laughs> stupid. It's it's the kind of thing where I use stupid as a compliment. It's a term of endearment. Yeah, yeah. So most of the game, most of a, a match, are these two teams, asynchronous. They've got the same objectives, and you're just trying to see who can compete fast enough. The only real reason for that whole preamble, the quicker you get done, the more of a head start you have in the final mission which will be mostly a PvP thing, where it's Mm. one more objective, both teams have been put on the same map, and it's like, there's one that's ripped straight from Overwatch, which is like Escort, a data cube, of course it's a data cube, um, along a track. the AI? Yeah. Uh, You've got a, yeah, so there are two data things that the teams are escorting, and you try and fuck with each other. There's like a capture the flag, like an objective, like a um, territory holding thing. All the while, of course, just being swarmed by dinosaurs. And that's it. There's also PvE that's also competitive multiplayer. Like, all of it's online and all of it's competitive. Um, Hmm. You can choose to have a PvE finale or a PvP finale, or have it set to random, which they want you to do, because no one would do PvE otherwise. Because (laughs) even though it's a good idea... They decided to tell some of the story through the PvE missions with really long cutscenes that can't be skipped for anyone because it assumes that for some people they're watching that cutscene for the very first time. So if you've got it on random for the XP bonus, and even if you actually kind of like some of the PvE missions, like there's a giant Neo T-Rex boss that is actually fucking shit. All the bosses are shit. They all do one-hit kills. And it's just annoying. Because it knows that you're in an environment where you can like be resurrected or respawn. So they're just like, fuck game balance, one-hit kills. There's one boss where every move it does is one. It's just not fun. But anyway, if you do like those... Just get used to the same long, and I mean long, long. I had a delivery arrive when I was like a good chunk into a cutscene. And this is in the middle of an online match. And I've seen it several times before. I was comfortably into a cutscene. I had to answer the door and take a delivery and get that sorted out. And by the time I came back, I could comfortably take my time getting settled, picking up the controller, getting ready for the fight, and it was nowhere near done. They've got to do something about that if they want people to, like, still do any PvE at all. They have Mm. to. Like, there's, like, fucking dozens of other cutscenes that are unlocked and you're supposed to just watch uh, to to learn the story, and you're watching your own time. Like, just do that. Like, do something. or, Or have a vote to skip. 
there are plenty of people that like play for the first time and don't fucking care. Like vote to skip or do something, something mm. to balance it. Making me sit through the frankly uninteresting cutscenes over and over. It's it's fucking annoying. But anyway, the game is really fun. I like it most when it is just like mindlessly fighting giant like dinosaurs with a team. The competitive element is fine. I wouldn't mind a true PVE in uh, like a pure PVE game, especially because you could be doing really, really well for all of your objectives, but the other team just happens to be a bit better at like PVP than you. So yeah. you get you you do really well for the whole match, and then get wiped by a team that was like you know. You could be at like ninety percent, and they could be at thirty percent. But if if they're good at the PvP bit, you feel like being good at the rest of the game meant nothing. It consequently, it feels great when you do it, when you've been lagging behind, and then you wipe the floor with them at the very end. But I don't know. It's not ruined the game for me, but sometimes it just feels a bit like shortchanging. Uh, you don't quite feel like you got anything out of the preceding ten minutes. Uh, because the final five's all that mattered. The exosuits are all fun. I like every single one, which has been really good because it, it lets you can switch suits throughout the match. You lose a bit of time to the animations and the cooldowns, uh, which you don't want to do. But if people have like picked the same thing or whatever, or you just need someone else, you can do it. So that's good for me that I've gotten kind of good with almost everything except the sniper. I like all the supports. You've got one who's like a little frog goblin man as a robot and he can do like a big area of effect heal or use a big sticky tongue thing to like slap onto another uh, ally just to like quickly heal them and give them a little speed thing. There is one that's basically like a skater girl. She's got little roller skates for feet and fights with a gun that has two modes, mend or rend, which can either Ooh. heal or switch to uh do damage she's a lot of fun i like her um then the other support is skywave she's sort of like a robot witch and um she just throws these little blasts that will deal damage or heal depending on just who it touches and you can use her to fly up sort of high in the sky and sort of very slowly float down and she can stop time and stuff um yeah there's loads of like all of them are really playable the assault have pretty much something for everyone you've got like a really fast melee oriented one who just does a hack and slash so it becomes less earth defense force and more dynasty warriors there's one who has a grenade launcher and uh, can set little mines so just does all the explodey shit all three of the tanks are pretty cool i like roadblock that's the character i'm best with it's just a like a big like big daddy looking guy who can throw up a big shield yeah a lot of them have very standard roles that you've seen in games before, but they do have uh, their own sort of personality to them. And some of their, their skills are really interesting. The only exosuit that I don't enjoy using is, um, I forget her name, but she's the sniper. And it's only because I'm not very good at sniping. Um, she plays really well. Yeah, I really enjoy this. I do think the monetization is a shame. I do think it's yeah. sad that there is now a stylistic blueprint for how a game is delivered, monetized, and sold and released. Yeah. How pushed in your face is the monetization loop? So I always 
try not to say anything that could minimize. So I, I, I was try and be careful. But I will say that the game hasn't felt grindy. I have unlocked, I want to say most of the cosmetics for mm. everything. For for like most, if not all, of the exosuits. Um, from either getting the coin, the in-game currency, which eventually just piles up. Or okay. there are loot boxes, they're not paid ones, which I still side-eye. I still yes. always side-eye their presence in anything. But between those, I've got every exosuit wearing a cosmetic thing I like. The Big Daddy dude has a train... Actually, I shouldn't say that because I don't want to tempt you into it. But I've already said Oh, I, I heard the word train his in there big, somewhere. His big daddy <laughs> style, like his big daddy diving suit kind of big thing. And one set up aesthetically like a steam engine. Oh. Uh, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's one of those things. I know that like it's impossible to make any kind of general statements about whether a particular game will be a problem monetization-wise for, you know. But I... I'll put it this way. Generally, the two of us have pretty similar things that get in our heads with this. Yeah. And it's reassuring me how little it seems to have gotten you here. Yeah. And that is making me go, maybe I don't just write off playing it entirely because of those trailers having the red flags that made me go, stay away from that. Yeah. I mean, I did impulsively get like the the more expensive version of it which came i didn't know it was a battle pass but it came with that so i don't know mm. how much that's colored my sort of sense of reward from it i do know mm. that the in-game currency that you use to unlock like most of the shit like the the like even the stuff that even the premium costumes are recolors of ones you can get i think there's random drops and stuff so i think it's always a risk it's always a risk. Oh yeah, no, I, I I recognize it's always a risk. This is on the low end. There's a finite amount of stuff you can actually buy, and most of it you will end up just getting hell. Like I've gotten stuff as random drops to the point where I wonder if using the in-game currency to buy things direct isn't a waste of that. Um, but there is a risk. And as you say, currently the loot box stuff is not connected to real money in any way currently. Yeah. Like, only, yeah. It, it is, it's tenuously, just because it's all part of the same system. And, um, but there's no, I'd have to double check, but I don't think there's any actual microtransaction currency, um, which is always helpful. Mm. The monetization is more in the form of just packs. Which is its own form of just fucking aggravating, but, you know, different packs and bundles of costumes and little charms and decals and all the time-wasting shit. Yeah. I think knowing you, I'm not going to say this for all listeners, knowing you and our similarities, I think you'll be all right. I think you'd be okay with it. It sounds like it, and that is reassuring, because as I said, every time I saw trailers for it i was like this just looks like stupid fun i'm a i'm in a cool cyber suit shooting like thousands of fucking dinosaurs that's just that just looks fun it It looks like dinosaur it looks like fucking dinosaur laser dynasty warriors and that's give give it to me yeah it's a lot of fun the other thing is you can also play as a dinosaur very temporarily oh towards the end of a uh, of a match 
Both teams will get awarded one, but the one that's lagging behind will get it first. You get something called a Dominator, which basically lets you summon your own dinosaur that you then take direct control of and you spawn with the enemy team and just fuck them up. Basically like yeah. the tank from Left for Dead. Something like that. Yeah. Except you're a Triceratops or a Carnosaur. <laughs> and it is fun because you... It's not fun to fight them because you'll get stunlocked with such swiftness it may as well have been a one-hit kill. But my God, it's fun to stunlock enemies to the point where you might as well be doing a one-hit kill. It's just one of them ones where it's just great to uh, dish out and no fun to take. I don't normally like the pressure of doing that in a game like this. Mm. I don't want to be the tank. I don't want to be the hero in like a battlefront or something because I don't want to have the pressure on me to be the sort of potential uh, difference maker for a team. I have yeah. very little problem. Unless I'm I'm usually playing support, so I don't normally want to tear myself away from healing. But I have very little problem in any other role being a <laughs> Triceratops or a Carnosaur and just fucking them up. So yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, I really like this game and I'm good at it. That's the other thing. Yay! I get the MVP status so much and it makes me feel so pleased with myself. <laughs> it's one of them games I always appreciate where you healing is rewarded. It's not all based on who can kill the most. Yeah. Um, you can be an MVP as Witch Doctor, which is the, the sort of the most dedicated healer you have. Mm. Just because of the points you'll acquire, either paralyzing the dinosaurs or healing your teammates. It's very easy to be the top ranked player in a match, um, which is something I just always find fun. Yeah. Basically, the support classes are all fun and unique to play as, but also you feel like you're... Your contributions are being judged just as much, which we've seen a lot more of these days. Yeah. Um, it's a far cry from uh, back when I used to play medic classes in things and just felt like I was the game and it's like end game results uh, just made it look like I hadn't contributed because I was too busy yeah. doing my job. You know, I, I imagine being trans at Xenomax and Bethesda is similar where you're doing your job and you just feel like it's not being respected because you weren't fitting the right role. I've made a really good parallel out of that. You, that, that you have. Mm, back of the net, Steph. That's my new name, back of the net, Stephanie. Um, it's not <laughs> saying I'm up for our sex. No, no. Who could even who could even imagine that? No, no. It's just not, not comfortable. I would be up for it, but what I mean to say is that Exo Primal is a shockingly good game. It has undermined itself with its presentation. But if you can get past that, it is a weird Earth Defense Overwatch Dynasty Warriors fucking mess. And it's fun. I've been playing a pretty fun thing today that yeah. I haven't finished yet. But my first like couple of hours with have been way more positive than I anticipated. And I'm really digging it. I started playing My Friendly Neighbourhood. Okay. You're aware of this? I think I've heard the name. I can't remember the game. So I think this came out, like, yesterday, so like a couple of days before recording. Gameplay-wise, I'm going to describe it as, like, being kind of similar to Resident Evil 4, or maybe Bioshock in some ways. But it is a horror puzzle exploration game set in the TV studio that is used to film a Muppet-style, Sesame Street-style preschoolers' uh, children's show. And 
the short version of the premise is you are a grumpy old repairman who's been sent to shut down an aerial on the roof of the building because on TV last night, a broadcast started happening that wasn't supposed to be happening of puppets eating themselves and eating each other. And it was a bit weird. Uh, so you've been sent to just like, go, go, just, just go turn off the antenna. It'll be fine. And the puppets are alive and you've got to, you, you got to, you know, do your horror-y, explore -y kind of thing. So first of all, I want to note that like, I assumed this was going to be a bit one-hit wonder in terms of spooky setting, but deliberate contrast with colourful silliness. And like, that is a part of it. And it's a big part of it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But like, Mechanically and genre-wise, I was kind of caught off guard, because structurally, this is a Resident Evil game. In that you have, you have essentially, like, the briefcase mechanic for organising on a grid, and you can only keep so much equipment with you at a time. You are trying to find keys, sometimes kind of elaborate styles of keys to open doors, but because it's a children's TV set, they're all colour-coded like, it's the blue triangle door, yay! To sort of open up progression paths and keep working through this this studio, and it very much feels like sort of mansion exploration in some of the earlier Resident Evils, uh, in, in the way that it's sort of paced. You have um, these puppets that are roaming around uh, the, the studio that can be defeated, but not permanently, uh, because they are puppets and you do not have a permanent... You're, you're a repairman, you did not come here with like a gun or anything. You do at one point find a novelty gun that shoots oversized letters uh, that you can use to like temporarily knock out a puppet until the next time you come back to a room. If you go looking around, there are limited use rolls of duct tape, so if you knock out a puppet and then duct tape it, tightened up in a ball, then it's incapacitated and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Most areas seem like they have one big roaming puppet that is too big to deal with and you just have to kind of avoid it in a slightly nemesis-esque fashion. You just gotta avoid the ire of ten foot tall big bird that is scouring looking around for you. The gunplay in it is, like, is pretty good. There sometimes feels a little inconsistency as to how many bullets it's going to take to take a puppet down. That, like, I can't work out if that's based on where on the puppet I'm shooting or not. But generally, it's kind of fun in the way that I enjoyed, and this is going to be a weird comparison, but... Steph, you played um, Yoshi's Crafted World, right? Uh, yes, yes. So you know how that game had, like, the colourful, forward-facing cardboard environments you were exploring, and then at a certain point you the levels would turn around and you'd be like behind the set dressing yeah yeah running around the back it's got a lot of that going on okay. where you are exploring doing like i'm trying to find all the pieces to unlock the elaborate door or whatever you know on the sesame street set and then you'll find a door that isn't particularly labeled and go through it and now you're in the the back backdrop the sections where like the, the you know people would have been doing the lighting and the curtains and then you come back into a different building because like it's it's all one set um and the way they use that uh ability to go backstage and then take backstage entrances into places as part of how the puzzle of navigation works is really smart i think they've done a good job of making that feel natural and giving you a clear idea of how you would navigate around knocked door uh, locked doors to come a different way into places. The thing that I think carries it, in some ways, is the idea of 
your horror game, but it's with silly puppets, lives and dies in many ways on the execution of how those puppets behave and how their voice acted. First of all, there is a lot of original dialogue for these puppets. I have yet to find them repeating themselves, which I think helps a lot. They have got very believable children's performance puppet voice actor types in there, and they've done a very good job of gradually building up the way that they do their delivery. Uh, they don't jump straight away into dialing it up to 100%. You have a very gradual curve that starts with, this is just, you know, it sounds like the puppeteer is repeating their lines practicing for today's episode, and like just slowly enough introducing little things that aren't quite right said in a very jovial voice before a, a puppet notices you and goes, yeah, and starts running at you, arms flailing in the air with a bit too much, um, little too much excitement at you. It's really fun. I have, I think it's really struck the balance of seeming like it's going to be silly, just long enough before each time that it goes, oh yeah, you thought you had a handle on this. Yeah, no, this is a little more a little more than you expected. The surprises and the shocks and the moments where it bends expectation are really well paced. And it's just fun. Like putting like its its intentions to be a horror experience aside, it's just very good silly fun to fire novelty oversized letters of the alphabet at a Muppet that is running at you screaming, I want to give you a hug. Let's be friends, be a good neighbour. And I'm like, no, no, thank you, get away. I'm not usually into... Like, I know there's a whole genre that, that Five Nights at Freddy's sort of spiralled into of cutesy or child-aimed environment or character that is present in a horror thing. This is the one that's really gotten me. It's self-aware and understands what it is, and plays around with that both for humour and for subversion of expectation of when horror drops are going to come. It knows that horror and comedy are two sides of the same coin and uses that really well. So, yeah, My Friendly Neighbourhood, I'm a couple of hours in and I think it's really good. I am very, very intrigued by that yeah. one. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's worth checking out. It seems like something kind of special. Um, also, just as a side note, I knew they were on, they were going to be on the right track with who they were getting on for puppeteering stuff because one of the characters is a little sock puppet, and I was like, why do I know, why do I know this voice? Who is voice acting this? It's, it's a YouTuber called Arlo whose whole thing is being a puppeteer. Of a big flo fuzzy muppet. Oh, I know of Arlo. Arlo is a fan of the Jimquisition, actually. Yeah, Arlo's yeah. Arlo's lovely, but Arlo Arlo voices a sock puppet that you encounter early on, and I oh, once I realized, yeah, and once I realized that, I was like, oh, you're getting people who actually do like puppeteering and puppet voices on for this. This is a good sign you understand how to how to get good puppet energy going. But yeah, yeah, they've done a really good job with it. Nice. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Uh, you played anything else this week, Conrad? I did. I, I played Gravity Circuit, which uh, came out on on the seventh, I think. So a little like two weeks ago. Uh, this is mm -hmm. a retro two D platformer. Uh, you you'll look at it and say 
oh, this is a Mega Man clone, and you're not wrong. Uh, the the popular thing is, oh, it's Mega Man and Bionic Commando. Um, I'm gonna drill down and say it's Mega Man Zero and Bionic Commando, very specifically because of the way it it sort of gives you abilities and your move set and and so forth, and some of the other just sort of aesthetic and basic design decisions. It definitely feels like a Mega Man Zero game. You have uh your your standard movement abilities you jump you have a uh a slide you can run um but you can't air dash unless you're using a special ability which is interesting you have a meter that builds up as you collect these resources from destroyed enemies and once the meter builds up, you can use one of your special attacks. And some of them will are useful for crossing distances, but mostly they're just, they do a shit ton of damage. Uh, where this sort of stands out is the implementation of a grappling hook. You can fire this in eight directions, you can swing on it, you can hit enemies with it. This is the only ranged attack you have. Everything else is close-ranged melee. So if you need to hit someone at range, you need to line up and time it to hit them directly with that grapple. But what's neat about it is once you have defeated an enemy, you can grapple and pick up their corpse and throw it at other enemies, which is very cool. Uh, it's it's really enjoyable when you pull it off in a quick sequence of uh, there's a few enemies and you can just wipe the floor with them by grabbing one and tossing it and then grabbing another and tossing that that's really satisfying otherwise it, it it's very very much a mega man type game and again i say mega man zero because this is a society of robots and a virus army attacked at one point, and there was a group of defenders that came and saved the day, but only one of them came back, and they couldn't repair it uh, until such time as the virus army returned, and the one lone survivor suddenly reactivates and goes back into the battle and has to fight all of their former comrades who have now, <laughs> you know, it's it, they're robot masters. And... You get your stage select, and you can go uh, fight them. What's interesting about that element of it is its progression system. Rather than giving you whatever weapon the enemy had when you defeat them, you get access to purchase two of their moves and put them into your special attack slots, uh, of which Hmm. there are four The ability that you use is based on the direction that you're holding when you press the special attack button. That's a neat approach. I really like that. The other collectible in the stages, there are robots that you can rescue that are trapped. And there's eight per stage. And for every one of those that you rescue, you get a token that can be spent on expansion abilities, of which you can have three slotted. These are various little buffs to damage or damage resistance or those sorts of things the double jump is in there and of course it's like one of the most expensive items to purchase (laughs) um and the very first thing that i bought because i'm like well i got five people on my first level i'm gonna go and just wipe three out and changed my life uh immediately made the game so much easier 
But uh, there's, you know, a, a push and pull in terms of you can only have three of these abilities in place. So if you want that double jump, you're going to lock yourself out of a bunch of other options for combining abilities uh, in synergies that are, are beneficial. Uh, it it hmm. looks great. It animates very well. It It is both shamelessly ripping off the Mega Man franchise in terms of its design while at the same time making the boss encounters feel distinct from a Mega Man X or Zero or that sort of thing. Uh, They come in two phases. You'll uh, deplete one health meter, and then they'll do some special attack, and then all of their subsequent attacks are the ones that they had before, but now they do them twice as much, and so they're just a little bit harder to, to avoid. It's good progression in those fights. They're enjoyable. They're challenging without being, like, absurdly difficult. None of this is as hard, at least on the normal setting, as Meg- as any of the Mega Man Zero games are. Uh, if you can play those, you can definitely play this. Uh, I might kick it up to hard at some point to see how that goes, but the normal setting is very reasonable for a game of this style. And uh, on the whole... Uh, it's it's fun it's got some fun little dialogue the person who gives you the missions always has some reason that they're glad that you're doing it instead of them that's kind of funny like you go into the junkyard to fight the cyberspace boss and he's like well good because i don't want my files getting leaked and it's like all right i don't want to know about your robot porn but i appreciate that you've got a a dog in this fight too. Thank you very much. It, I I really like it. I think it is worth giving a gander to, particularly if you like these old school platformers. It's it, it's a good entry into the canon. And uh, yeah, yeah. Go go check out Gravity Circuit. Very very cool. Uh, is that everything we've played this week? Or has anyone got anything else they want to chuck out? If it's not extra primal, I don't give a shit. Well, that's that's me told, isn't it? And I guess we uh, get a couple of a couple of bits of news out of the way before we finish up. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, in a story that feels like it happens over and over again, but maybe it'll go somewhere this time. Uh, the UK games industry is looking to try and resist a- a- a restrict access to loot boxes for children, which is uh, in theory a good thing. I'm open to this positive turn of events. Yeah, so um, Yuki, which is the uh, the UK's uh, industry trade association, alongside the government, unveiled 11 principles for the games industry that are focused on improved protections for children, young people, and adults following concerns raised about loot boxes. They have created a set of industry guidelines that, you know, they don't necessarily have the power to enforce, but are trying to push for. These include the need to flag the existence of loot boxes in a game prior to purchase, a clear list of the probabilities for loot box content, and the need for an easy refund policy. Basically, they're trying to provide the UK uh, games industry a clear direction for where things should be going moving forward. They can point at and go, you know, these are steps you can do to lessen the degree to which children are being preyed upon by predatory monetization in video games, which is a thing we need to happen. They're going to be working across the industry to try and implement these. We'll see how successful that is. There is some vagueness. Yuki says that they've been uh, working with a uh, a group consisting of 
representatives from across the industry, and following extensive engagement with the government's Department of Culture, Media and Sport, and other government authorities, and third-party groups and academics and whatnot, Yuki does not have the power to force anyone to do these things, and I I hope that th these help. Looking at the full list of 11, make technology available to control access to loot boxes, make sure that parents are aware of the fact that controls exist for loot boxes and how to stop kids accessing them, form an expert panel on what age limits should be associated with loot boxes, make sure they're disclosed, make sure the probabilities are disclosed. If you're going to include them, design and present them in a way that is easily understandable and is not obfuscated. Continue to tackle the unauthorized external sale of items acquired from loot boxes. That's your sort of like pe the third party resale market that gives a financial value to loot box items. Basically, do these things and see whether that helps. Fingers crossed that goes somewhere. We had a couple of other little updates about the Microsoft and Activision Blizzard King um, acquisition. The big one to note. There was a deadline of Tuesday this week by which if the deal hadn't been closed, Microsoft would owe Activision Blizzard King, I think it was like $3 billion. Uh, Activision Blizzard King have agreed to extend that deadline so that, you know, they can deal with the fact that the FTC is still kind of fighting around with them and the UK's uh, Competition and Market Authority are still sort of kicking it about. The UK has extended their deadline for a final decision by about two months. Microsoft has apparently put forward a new proposal to try and get the CMA to agree to let them uh, exist in the UK. The rumours doing the rounds, according to, uh, I think it was Bloomberg, is that Microsoft has floated the idea of selling off their cloud-based market rights in the UK, so that in the UK they don't have anything to do with the operation of their own cloud-based services, it's going to be a few months before that happens, and it seems like it's probably going to be a few more more months before the ink finally dries on the deal, because they're dragging their feet trying to get not have to pull out of the UK as a market. And the last thing we've got on, on the Microsoft stuff this week is uh, Microsoft has now signed a 10-year deal with PlayStation to have Call of Duty come to PlayStation for the next 10 years. Um... The thing that's kind of interesting about this is that um, there are reports kind of circulating that there may have been another deal offered that Sony turned down, which was seven years of all Activision Blizzard King games still coming to PlayStation, and they allegedly turned down a seven-year deal for all Activision Blizzard King games, but did agree to a ten-year deal for Call of Duty, specifically. If nothing else... Ten more years of Call of Duty on PlayStation is happening. We've got a couple of other stories, a couple of other updates on things. Do you remember Do you remember when that gameplay footage of GTA 6 uh, leaked onto the internet not that long ago? No, but I, I take you at your word. Yeah, a good couple of hours of GTA 6, like very early in development footage, uh, leaked, and it became clear that there was a teenager like, trying to blackmail Rockstar into not releasing uh, material. Uh, so this happened a little while ago, uh, and then it turned out, like, we, we sort of started hearing a bit more and a bit more about this. The same teenager had been trying to blackmail Uber, NVIDIA, 
uh, and others alongside Rockstar. We now know a bit more of what's going on there. An 18-year-old named Orion uh, Kurtage, uh, who was 17 at the time, is standing trial for 12 counts, including three counts of blackmail, two counts of fraud, six counts under the Computer Misuse Act. I'm not surprised you don't f try and blackmail Rockstar and Uber and NVIDIA without shit catching up with you. According to Reuters, the teenager sent a Slack message to every single Rockstar employee threatening to release the source code of GTA 6. You're casting a pretty wide net there, pal. You yeah. Know, you could have just yeah. like, selected a few specific people. I mean, it's a shotgun approach and I respect it, but uh, focus. Yeah. The other bit of the update we have here, and we don't know much more around this other than the sentence that this te this this teenager gets is probably not going to be as intense as initially some of us imagined it might be, as the teenager has been assessed by psychiatrists as not fit to stand trial, and a jury will uh, not determine whether he is guilty, but instead decide simply whether he did or did not commit the acts. We do not know the situation around that, and, you know, speculation may, is not worthwhile there, but it does probably mean that uh, Rockstar will probably be not going as aggressively against this as you, as one might have imagined they would. All I can say is you sure were ambitious, uh, kid. That sure was some companies to pick fights with. Other stories we've got this week... Have either of you heard about uh, the Hello Neighbor uh, publisher and their uh, talk they gave at Develop, the uh, game development conference in Brighton this week? No, I can't no. say I heard anything about that. Oh, oh, it sure is something. So Alex uh, Nichiporchik, uh, who is the CEO of Tiny Build, kind of kind of raised some eyebrows uh, when people started circulating a. Uh, some photos of some slides from a keynote he was given, um, in which he outlined potential uses of AI tools in the workplace, including the monitoring of employee Slack messages and meeting transcriptions, to help identify potential problematic players. Mm. He has since insisted that everything on this slide was hypothetical. Now, I'm not sure I believe that, but he has since said this was all hypothetical, none of this is real, I'm not doing any of this. The talk was called AI in Game Dev, Is My Job Safe? Uh, which promised no. an... <laughs> That's short, there, I did your talk, no, your job's yeah. not safe. The headline is a question, the answer's no. It promised an in-depth look into how TinyBuild adopted AI in daily practices to exponentially increase efficiency. The bit of the presentation that caught people's eyes was the slide AI for HR. Oh. Um, oh. Right. <laughs> There's two sets of paired letters I never want to see next to each other. Right. Uh, he discussed uh, how AI could be used by human resources to spot burnout, which he, <laughs> which, 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 oh no, we're not even, we're not even there. We're not even there, Conrad. Burnout, which he later described as being synonymous with toxicity. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. you, like discontent, perhaps. No, maybe. no, not discontent. Uh, I don't no. know. Oh, um, it's toxicity. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, it's just about and, a bad attitude yeah. that this individual has, yeah. and not your shitty job. Wow. Yeah. So AI could be used by HR to spot this uh, amongst employees by identifying potential problematic team members, 
and then collating and running their Slack messages and their the you know transcripts from things like Google Meet and Zoom, chuck them into ChatGPT in a process that he calls I Me Analysis. I will quote him. There is a direct correlation between how many times someone uses I or me in a meeting, compared to the amount of words that they use overall, correlated to the probability of that person going to a burnout. Aha. Uh-huh. You mean you mean start thinking about themselves. So there's a there's a correlation between people using first person pronouns in their speech and actually thinking about their own interests. Mm, That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. So according to uh Porchik, um by identifying employees who talk too much about themselves, who suck up too much time in meetings so that nothing gets done and receive negative feedback, it's possible that to then identify someone who is on the verge of burning out, who might be the reason the colleagues who work with that person are also burning out, and you might be able to identify it and fix it early on. Um, so I'm going to... Uh, okay. Here's okay. the best. This is the best uh, comparison that I think all three of us will be able to immediately recognize as to why this is going to spell doom. Okay? Yeah. SEO. Yeah. Like, every single one of us has at some point had to change the manner in which we wrote content for the internet in order to achieve parity <laughs> with this system that required us to, you know, produce in a specific way. And this is going to be the same thing. You're going to, the people who are going to succeed under this are the slimy, Fuck corpo speak assholes who only ever speak in we terms and go team and that nonsense. And everybody else is going to moderate their language to fit that mold. And it's we're going to Peter Principle a whole bunch of useless fucking people up into executive positions and nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. Amazing. I love it. Oh, technology's good. We're not even at the end of it. There's still stuff to go. So in the... Look... In theory, recognizing burnout happening and, you know, people who might be burning out and people around them might be burning out, not necessarily a bad thing. If we gave a shit about employees. Well, that's the thing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I was not at this talk, so I'm going to initially read uh, the report from Why Now Gaming and then the contra- the sort of um, uh, statement in response from Nijaporchik. Why Now Gaming reports that the CEO said in, in this uh, discussion that Tiny Build has been experimenting with the technology retroactively on workers who've already left the company and is now starting to use it proactively, highlighting a, f- uh, and I quote, first case last week where a studio lead was not in a good place. No one told us. Had we waited a month, we would probably not have a studio. Now, the slide ended with a reference to the TV show Black Mirror. Oh, so they're conscious. Cool. Yeah, no, they they're conscious it. of what they're doing. Right? Now, now, Nietzsche that Porchik, makes it better. Nietzsche Porchik, uh contradicts this and insists that the HR part of my presentation was a hypothetical, hence the Black Mirror reference, and Tiny Build does not monitor employees or use AI to identify problematic ones. Yeah, there certainly isn't a historical trend of people working in tech seeing a cautionary tale and saying, let's do that. 
Yeah, and like, you know, definitely he was talking hypothetically in a talk that was described as an in-depth look into how TinyBuild adopted AI in daily practices to exponentially increase efficiency. He definitely had just one hypothetical slide in there. He continues to say, I could have made it more clear for when viewing out of context. Yeah, you should have done that then, huh? We do not monitor employees or use AI to identify problematic ones. The presentation explored how AI tools can be used, and some get into creepy territory. I wanted to explore how they can be used for good. You failed. Yeah. You have utterly failed. Yeah. Yeah. So at best, very poor messaging of a hypothetical. At worst, an admission of some pretty shitty behavior from a CEO. At a company that makes stuff I like, too. God, I hate that. Yeah, so that's that's the range we gotta hang out in now for them. Cool. So that's that's fun. Uh but we do have a nice thing to end on. We've got a nice oh, thing God. to end on. You know how a lot of um, you know, handheld d- uh, devices ship and the the battery's like real wedged inside there, you can't replace it if over the years the battery kinda wears down. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's well it's the same as cell phones too. You know, everything has a battery you can't remove yeah. now. Well, yeah, exactly. Um well uh, new handheld game consoles are going to need to have replaceable batteries from 2027 onwards, the EU says. Good. Uh, this is part of the EU pushing for, like, consumer-facing, fr- consumer-friendly standards, like, uh, you know, standardizing USB-C rather than everyone having their own proprietary shit. Um, this comes part of a new regulation ca- uh, laid out by the Council of the European Union, uh, which aims to regulate the entire life cycle of batteries to ensure they are safe, sustainable, and competitive. Basically, they've given three years for companies to adapt their designs to make sure that is possible, but it means that, like, hey, probably three years from now when, like, the the Switch Pro Lite releases or whatever is releasing around then, you'll be able to just take out your battery and put a new battery in if your battery fucks up. So that's, that's, that's good. I Again, love that. more more ability to repair and replace your own hardware while, rather than being, you know, reliant on corporations. I continued to use a Samsung phone for years and years and years specifically because it had a replaceable battery. Yeah. It was great. Oh god, I would travel for events and I had an external charger for the battery so that when my battery inevitably died in the middle of something important that I was doing just mid-work day, I didn't have to go find a fucking outlet and sit by it for 30 minutes so I'd have enough charge to do all the things that I needed to do. I'd just slap a battery in it. And we, for some reason, decided it was acceptable to not have replaceable batteries in shit. And yeah. I'm really glad that this is happening, even if it's something that will probably nary affect me at all, this is a good thing. Anything that puts the ability for consumers to make their own choices in terms of how they use the things that they purchase is a net positive in my view. Couldn't agree more. Uh, So yeah, hooray. Actually, somewhere nice to end on today. Yep, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. I think that's it. I think we did it all. Yeah. yeah. We, did all, we did all the things that happened. Well, I know there are other things that happened that you did, Laura, because you do things all the time. And sometimes you put yeah. them on the internet or in bookshops or outside near a 
hedge. I don't know. I mean, sometimes um, I do do things outside near a hedge. Ooh. There you go. Mm. I think the people need to know about all of these things and more. Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell them about the stuff I do outside by the hedge. That's just for me. But uh, <laughs> everything <laughs> everything else I do can be found at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere on the internet. I've got that good unified branding. Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, Blue Sky, Mastodon. Patreon's the one that pays the bills if you if you enjoy the stuff I put out. A uh, dollar as little as a dollar a month really helps. Um every week episodes of Access Ability over on YouTube. Uh go check those out. This week's one is going to be about um the three main console manufacturers accessibility controllers, now that we know more about the PS5 Access controller, and seeing how they compare to each other in terms of things like uh price price to get them up to certain levels of controller functionality, um, uh, access to external ports, basically going, how, how do, uh, what, what do these offer that might be a good or a bad fit for what you need in terms of an accessible controller? So I'm really proud of that, that video. Go check that out on Friday. Um, other than that, look forward to Stories of Autistic Joy coming out, I think, October 19th. It's a little ways off yet, but it's, it's coming. What about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda and officially licensed Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Why, it's James Stephanie Sterling. That's true. It's true. I can't deny it. It's at patreon.com slash Jimquisition. And uh, you can go on that and support this show or the Jimquisition, which uh, if you have not watched this week's one, I do recommend it. It's called uh, The Most Important Starfield Video Ever or something like that. Um, it's just a simple video about it's so positive. how cool Starfield so, is. So hype for the game. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. at all like mention like a trans woman being fired. Uh, or being pressured into leaving her job at Zenimax by uh, Zenimax and Bethesda heads um, after she came out and transitioned because uh, they found her too inconvenient. That's an awfully specific thing to say isn't in the video. Oh. It's just a random example I pulled yeah. out of the air. Um, you know me, I like, I'm like i a bit fanciful and detailed uh, with my hypotheticals. That um, is weirdly true, but... Much, yeah, much like yeah. the man from Tiny Build, sometimes you just throw fanciful hypotheticals yeah, out there. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> you know... Um, but no, I, I, um, thank, thank everyone who shared in, uh, that video and, and, and talked about it. I was a bit worried I wouldn't be able to do a four hour video justice. Um, the one that sort of, in which the, the account of, of, uh, what the owner went through was, uh, was published. Um, but it does seem like I did a decent job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, other than that, um, I stream occasionally, uh, when I've got the time at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling, uh, trying to do that more regularly. Um, although being able to do it on a regular schedule is, is impossible. Um, what else is there? Uh, wrestling dates. Uh, I've got two fully confirmed ones. Um, well, one of them hasn't even been announced, but I'm just saying it anyway. Uh, June 30th in Huddersfield, I will be um, performing with Tidal Wrestling. That's June 30th, Huddersfield, Tidal. And then August 26th, um, biggest match of my career. That's in Leeds. That's for True Grit Wrestling. Um, yeah, that's that. Thank you all so much, as always. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.